0: You know, it used to be, um, not that long ago, churches had cemeteries. And so as you were coming to church every week, you would drive past a cemetery and be reminded of your own mortality. Some churches even uh, had a practice of keeping an open grave uh, for the next burial. So that meant that you were aware that your own grave may have already been dug, and it had a way of... Keeping uh, your mortality in front of you. Now, you might think that that's all very dark and macabre and you don't like it. I actually wish that uh, we had a cemetery because um, it would be this ongoing reminder of something that we try to avoid. We are not a death-defying, courageous culture. We are a foolish, death-denying culture. <laughs> and, and it just doesn't, it doesn't come up Uh, as it should. And so I feel uh, pressed to make statements designed to shock you, like, I'm going to die, and so are you. Um, And we can face that and actually come out on the other side of that with a perspective that is very freeing and very liberating if we frame this correctly. I remember a few years ago when I... uh, suddenly realized I was going to have to do more to uh, raise the specter of death in the eyes of people. Uh, It was a a gentleman that had started attending the church. He had had a near-death experience. He was in his mid-70s, had a near-death experience. It had really rattled him. So he came uh, to church looking sort of Get right with God, and and he got plugged in, and he heard the gospel, and made a decision for Christ, and got in a small group, and started to march along. And then a couple years later, he he uh, uh, we got a call. He was downtown. He was in a hospital. He was not expected to make it. All the doctors said he was going to die. And so some of us visited him, uh, but he didn't die. Uh, much to everybody's surprise, he got better, and he he came home, and. He went marching on for a couple more years, and then it happened again. And uh, everybody said that he was going to die, and he didn't die. And so uh, he came home, and he was sort of healthy and vibrant. And so by his own admission, he would say, I've cheated death three times. God has delivered me three times. He was very happy. And then I got a call uh, fourth time. He'd had a heart attack. And so uh, I went to visit him. I had heard that the heart attack was quite severe. I was very surprised to see him dressed in street clothes, sitting uh, in his room. There were no monitors. I expected him in bed and monitors and everything. It was He was just sitting there. And there were other people in the room. And when I walked in, he just tore into me. He was mad. He was mad at God. He was mad at me. He was, he called, I mean, there was a lot of bad language. And, and I just am sort of, like, shocked. And it's a little bit awkward because there's other people in the room. And so... I said, I tell you what, um, sounds like you've got some issues and some questions. So why don't I pray for you now, and then I'll come back uh, tomorrow, and we can have this discussion. So he agreed to that. I prayed for him, and I, I came back to the office. And an hour later, I got a phone call that he had passed away. And I thought when I got that phone call, oh, my goodness, I failed this guy twice. I, I, I walk away in the hour of his death. And then, uh, but even more than that, somehow he showed up at this church for for five or six years, but never got the memo <laughs> that he was going to die. <laughs> now, that strikes me as a little odd, right? Because we all sort of are aware of this at one level, but he apparently uh, was not. And so, I thought I'm going to have to do more to talk about this topic. And as I said. Uh, Today's passage uh, provides a a fairly ready opportunity to do that. We are moving through Luke uh, 11. This is again the big, uh, the 10 chapter transition where Jesus is marching from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and uh, and he's having various uh, altercations. As he gets closer to Jerusalem, three things happen. Number one, the crowds get bigger. Remember, he had sent the 70 out. This was part of the revolution series. He didn't just come to teach. He didn't just come even to die. He launched a revolution. He was recruiting people to be part of his work in this world, to bring uh, the the love, the grace of God, the kingdom of God. And so he had launched these 70. They've obviously done their, their job. So people are talking about Jesus. The crowds get larger Secondly, the, uh, the, the number of altercations that he has with the religious leaders increase and they become a little bit more hostile. Last time we saw that some of the members of the, that had been sent, no doubt, by the Sanhedrin to sort of you know, bird dog Jesus and to try and trip him up, they had suggested that the reason he had been able to defeat evil to cast these demons out was because he was the prince of darkness himself. And Jesus had sort of made short work of them. Uh, but but uh, these altercations are going to increase. And then the third thing that will happen as we get closer to Jerusalem is that Jesus will be ever uh, clearer that you, you have to, to go in or step back. That when it comes to God, there's no Switzerland, right? There are no bleacher seats in this game. Everybody's on the field. you got to pick a side. And so he, he said, last week verse 23 he was not with me is against me All right you don't get a you don't get to sit on the 50 yard line and cheer for both teams so so we're picking up a continuation of this conversation that we saw last week verse 29 as the crowds increased jesus said this is a wicked generation it asks for a miraculous sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Okay? So the people, he's saying, the people are showing up here because they want to see me do miracles. Right? They, want, they want me to feed them. They want healing. They want something like that. They're looking for a show. I'm not going to give them a show except they will get the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah, you might remember, Old Testament prophet living in Israel. He's called by God to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians are, uh, are the bad boys on the block at the moment. They're the enemy of Israel. The, the Jews hate the Assyrians. Now, there's, there are a number of Assyrians that attend Christ church. They're perfectly wonderful, lovely people. I hear from them every time I bring up the Assyrians. Um, so I'm not suggesting uh, 21st century American Assyrians or Assyrians... Are, uh, are anything other than wonderful people. But back then, they were the enemies of the Jews, and Jonah doesn't want to go, right? So he famously, he's supposed to go to Nineveh. He tries to head in the opposite direction, and God sends a storm. He gets on a ship. God sends a storm. It's obvious that the ship is going to be lost when Jonah steps forward and says to his Shipmates, this is all about me. I'm actually trying to get away from God. And they go, "What are you crazy?" And he says, "Throw me overboard, and you'll be fine." And they don't want to do it for a while. And eventually, they decide they have no choice. They throw Jonah overboard, and then we read that he's he's uh, swallowed by this fish. And then three days later, he's spit out on the shore, and he decides, "Okay, uh, enough running. I'm going to go." He goes to Nineveh. He preaches a message to the Ninevites he calls on them to repent and they do which makes him very mad because he knew this would happen and that's sort of how the book of Jonah ends so so we've got this message this reference to Jonah being given here by Jesus now we hear it through you know post resurrection Ears and go. The sign of Jonah is pointing to Christ's victory over death. This is a foreshadowing of the work that Jesus would do. Three days in the belly of a fish is referencing three days being dead, right, in the ground, but then he rose again from the dead. So there is this clear uh, reference to Jesus being greater than death. Now, the Jews would not have heard it that way, right? Jesus hasn't risen from the dead yet. So what they're going to hear is they're going to hear this message where Jesus says uh, the sign of Jonah. And they're going to think Jonah is the one who went to the Gentiles. And the message of Jonah is that God will do an end run around the Jews. And, and that, that God can, can use and bless other people. They don't like that message. And then it it seems like there's more of the same message. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Then the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with men of this generation and condemn them. Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba, probably from Ethiopia. This is a reference to another Gentile, right? Who who gets right with God, who hears this message and gets right uh, with God. And so... Jesus references here that, that both the people of Nineveh and the people uh, and, and the queen of Sheba will be able to condemn the Jews because, because they heard a lesser message and they repented. And now Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, Jesus, who is greater than Solomon, is, is giving a message and the people aren't repenting. So they're going to hear this through different eyes. Um, and there's, a, there's clearly an opportunity here to talk about repentance, personal, national, all that kind of thing. I want to take advantage of this opportunity, though, and talk about death. So what I want to do is I'm going to leave you with two challenges on this topic. But let me just step back a little bit first and and give you a, a quick biblical overview of this topic. When, when medical doctors are talking about death or when biologists are talking about death, you, you get definitions like it's, uh, it, you know, it's permanent and irreversible cellular damage from a lack of oxygen or something like that. When the Bible talks about death, it's, it goes in a very different direction. It talks about separation. So physical death is the separation of our body and our soul. Spiritual death is the separation of our soul from God. Okay? And, and going beyond that, the Bible makes a number of points about death. First of all, in the Bible, death is portrayed as an, as an intrusion, as an invader, right? It, if, you, if we read in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when things are going well, before sin, there's no death. Death is the result of sin. Now, our individual death is not the result of sin if we have placed our faith in Christ. Paul writes, Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not under the subject of, of sin, but the world is broken collectively by sin, and this is this is part of of God's plan. But death is a it's an intrusion. It's an invader. It, it is corrupting. It is not part of the initial plan. It's an unnatural act. The third thing the Bible says about about death is that it's not the end. Most people throughout time and most people today believe that we will live on after we die. The Sadducees, part of the Sanhedrin council, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in eternal life. They rejected this notion. Jesus rejected their notion. He's very clear that death is a transition to something beyond it. So, Jesus, even on on the cross, he will say to the to the repentant thief, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is is referencing is clear that uh, that we are going to live on after we die. Death is not the end. The fourth thing that the Bible tells us is that death will one day be destroyed. So at this moment, death has been defeated. Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, but he then comes back to life. He is resurrected. He defeats death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to say that that the last thing that will be destroyed, as God is destroying sin and everything that's wrong, the last thing to be destroyed will be death. There will be no more death. And then the, the, the final sort of um, basic point here is that our hope is for a physical resurrection. Right? Now, Listen, because I, I think a lot of people, I think there's a lot of confusion here. The, the promise that we get from the Bible is very unique. So there's a, there's a number of categories out there of what people think is going to happen. The materialist obviously says that when we die, that's it. Um, What you see is all you get, so when you die, the show's over. Um, To quote the dying prince in Hamlet, the final scene there, the rest is silence, right, if uh, death is the end. We may live on uh, through our reputation or in the memories of our loved ones, but for us, if we die, death is the end. That's what the materialist or the naturalist would say. Then there's a whole bunch of sort of ideas under what we'll call the spiritualist approach. And this includes sort of the generic spirituality of today. uh, People thinking we're going to come back as an angel or something like that. It includes uh, the Greeks. uh, Plato, very famously, uh, and, and a number of other Greek philosophers thought that the body was bad. Uh, a platonic relationship is not physical in any way. It's all just sort of emotional or spiritual. And so the Greeks thought that that when we died, our our spirit or our soul was liberated from this dungeon of a body that was trapping us. Uh, there's also some Eastern ideas out there, Hindus and Buddhists, that would see that are... That our soul or our spirit or our life force is going, to, is going to unite with the grand cosmic consciousness of one, and we're going to be subsumed into this grand cosmic life. But, but that's all going to be spiritual. So there's a, a bunch of spiritual ideas out there. Then there's, then there's the idea of reincarnation. Karnos in the Greek is the word flesh. And so there's the idea that our spirit will be refleshed in another form much like the one that we have. Okay, So what the Bible says is different than all of that. What the Bible says is that we are going to uh, have a resurrection of our body. That when we die, our, our body goes into the ground, our soul goes... To be immediately with Christ. If we, are, if we have stepped over the line, if we come to faith in Christ, then to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Paul makes that point very clear. There's no idea of soul sleep in the New Testament. No idea of purgatory. It is to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Paul is obviously thinking that way when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? He, he wants, there's a sense in which he wants to die. Now he's not... He's not going to die. He makes it clear that there's work to be done, so he's not going there now. But, but there's, there's this idea that we would go immediately, spiritually, to be with God. But that's not how it ends, right? Because in Revelation chapter 20, we, we read about the resurrection and that we get a new physical body, right? One that is like Christ, one that is perfect, so when we say the Apostles' Creed and we say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, right? we're not talking about Christ. We're talking about the physical resurrection of our body, that we would get a new body, that that is ultimately our hope. And, and we will be more than we are today. Heaven is more real than this, than this life. Right? We will not be... Spiritual? We're not just going to be beings. We're not going to be angels. We're not going to be this mystical, magical, ethereal, ethereal, vaporous entity. Heaven is more real than earth, and and we will have a physical body. Christ's physical body rose from the dead. The tomb was empty because his body came back to life. It was different. It was more glorious, and it wasn't completed yet in its glory. But it was physical, right? He could eat, he could he they could touch him, right? So our hope is for a physical resurrection. So with those basics in place, I want to leave you with with two things to think about. Number one, death and dying have changed in the last thirty years. In some ways for the better, but in some ways for the worse. Now, it's changed in part because um, things around it have changed. First of all, we are living much longer than we lived before, almost twice as long as, as 100 years ago. And, uh, and so we're, most of us have an additional 30 years to live that uh, we wouldn't have had to live if we were born at the beginning of the 20th century. Secondly, because of the great work being done by, uh, by, by doctors and scientists, nurses and others, we we are not dying of the same things we used to die of. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things that they that they couldn't cure before that they now can. And so we tend to die of different things. The third thing that this means is that most of us at this point will have some idea of what's going to kill us because we will be sick for a couple years with what is ultimately going uh, to, to lead to our death. This provides an opportunity for us to actually get right, to end well, right to, to make peace with God, to make peace with others, to reach a sense of spiritual well-being. My observation is that that uh, tragically doesn't often happen. There's a lot of talk. For this sermon, I read a lot of stuff about dying and death from a variety of sources. And there's a lot of talk in the literature today about dying well. And if you sort of try and read between the lines, I think dying well for the most part means that you are not in pain... And you die at home surrounded by your loved ones. Which, both of those are wonderful. I mean, there's you know, no, no reason to, to be in great pain if you don't have to be. And dying at home in the presence of your loved ones is, is a blessing. But I wouldn't describe that as the, the end all of dying well, right? I mean, I would say dying well has to mean that we are at peace. We are at peace with God and we are at peace with others. And we have used that time uh, to, to have those conversations with God and with others. Okay, my observation. 30 years ago when I started in ministry. If you were in the presence of somebody who was aware that they were in the last days or weeks of their life. You were in a room where important conversations were taking place. Right? There, was, there was a lot of thought going on. Today, uh, that's often not the case. Today, often what I hear are lots of discussions about additional clinical trials and, and liver functions and people looking at dials that they don't necessarily understand. Or, remarkably, people watching TV. And the, the, the opportunity for there to be conversations of substance and depth and blessings and reflection and singing hymns and reading Scripture is not often taking place. And so uh, I just want to suggest that uh, death has changed in the last 30 years. And in some ways it's better, but in some ways I think we're... We're missing some opportunities. The second thing I would say is that as as a Christ follower, our understanding of death needs to be framed by Scripture. It needs to be framed by the gospel, and that means that means two things. First of all, it means that we understand that death is an intruder and that it's bad and that it's ugly. And and I appreciate what Kim said. We're not going to put a happy face on cancer. Right this is this is when my dad was was dying right he was being reduced and it was ugly and it was painful to watch and there's no reason we have to say anything differently than that this is wrong and I don't like it and 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 it's a result of sin and it's and it's ugly so we're free to say that but we also have the opportunity and the privilege to see that, that through God's love and grace, right, death can be a transition more fully into the presence of God. And that it's nothing that we need to fear. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to look forward to the act of dying, right? When my dad was Told that he had uh, an advanced form of leukemia and that he was not going to live long, the doctor said, "Is there, you want to you want to ask questions about this?" And my dad said, "Well, look, I'm I'm not scared to to I'm not scared of death. I've made peace with death. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm I'm good with I'm good with death. The act of dying, I'm not very excited about. So I'd like to know a little bit more about that." And the doctor said, "Okay, well, I can just assure you that you, you will not have a violent death. I can promise you a peaceful death, which is what he had." So I'm not talking about the act of dying, but, but for those of us who are in Christ, right? When we're talking about heaven, we're talking about going to be in the presence of God. We're talking about uh, we're talking about you know going to a place where the world works and everything is right. And, and this is not something that we need to hold at arm's length. And the more we think about what has been promised to us, the more we understand that uh, this is not something I need to fear. Um, now, again, death is tragic for those, especially those who get left behind. <laughs> it's, it's better for those who die But for those who get left behind, the loss of a loved one is is a tragic thing. And that's the way the Bible frames it. right? Jesus wept at Lazarus' funeral. and In Acts 8-2, we see that righteous men wept when Stephen, who Jesus had stood up to welcome into heaven as the church's first martyr, Stephen dies. It says, righteous men buried Stephen and wept. They're not crying for Stephen. It's better for Stephen. But they're crying for their own loss. I want to be clear about that. But... Our death is not something that we have to live in fear of. If we know Christ, if our hope is in Christ, if we have if we have been born again, then we get to frame death a different way. Um, there was a uh, a wedding here uh, yesterday, and I was at the reception, and this was part of uh, part of the the toast that was offered. And it was they were talking about marriage, but I recognized it out of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the Last Battle, and it's actually a reference to heaven. Okay? Maybe marriage and heaven are the same uh, in your mind, but um, this is this is that is not what Lewis was writing about. He was not writing about marriage. He was writing about heaven, and he says this: um, that our death allows us to step further in and higher up into real life. For those who have died, it's only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures were only the cover uh, and title page. Now, at last, there is the real beginning. Chapter 1 of the great story, which no, uh, no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Right? That is what we uh, look forward to, uh, to heaven. And so our understanding of death needs to be framed by the recognition that it's bad, it's ugly, Uh, there's a sense of that, but also that it's a transition into the presence of God, and it's wonderful. Well, there's other things that obviously could be, should be said about death. Um, You know, this is not really my job assignment, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, look, I'm, I'm, um, I'm often there after somebody has died, and I've been in... Some houses where uh, when I show up, uh, everything has been attended to. There was, there was a will. There was a, some sort of trust. Uh, things have been talked about. The service has been let, mapped out. The, 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 the deceased has let their wishes be known. And there's a sense of calm and reflection. And I've been in houses where, oh, my goodness, I'm like the referee in a fight between siblings or siblings and, and a step. Uh, mom or stepdad, and everybody 's trying to take stuff and it 's just you know nobody can agree on which way is up and which way is down and it 's just pandemonium so um, not really my job, but this way works a whole lot better than this way so there's some practical issues that you could you could bless your family by attending to those practical issues so there's, there's all of that that, that that could be talked about. Again, we could talk about what happens when we die. I said there's no New Testament reference to purgatory or soul sleep. There's, there's a number of things that could be said. I just want to leave you with this closing thought. Right? The fact that you're going to die, right? the fact that I'm going to die, can be uh, an opportunity to live. <laughs> right. Right. The fact that we face our death and we recognize that our days are numbered, can be a motivation to live this life in a way that reflects the fact that we're going to die and stand before God and and be with him forever. So that we would would see today as an opportunity to live and to love and to serve and to give and to be the kind of people that we want to be when we stand before God. So the fact that we're going to die can be a Helpful motivator to move forward. it's not something we have to avoid and deny. Again, let's not be let's a, a, not, not be a foolishly death-denying culture. Let's be one that recognizes the way things are going to work and, and, and frames things in light of the gospel. There's no reason to fear death. Christ has conquered death and it will be destroyed. but we need to live today in light of the fact that we're going to live forever. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, everything that needs to be done for our salvation was accomplished by Christ on the cross. He defeated death. You will destroy death. Um, help us to know how to navigate life in this broken world where there still is sin and there still is darkness and there still is death and loss and grief and pain. Help us to not deny any of those things, even as we look forward to um, what you have promised. And I pray especially for those who are perhaps fearful of death or mourning the loss of a loved one. Father, would you bring the peace that we can only find in you? Uh, bring that for them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.